All right, so we are continuing our current series, Encounters with Jesus, with the hope that we might see how Jesus interacts with kind of normal, everyday people. The God-man interacting with just the, the common man. And the hope is that we might then love Jesus more and also become more like Jesus. See Jesus as he actually is, as he's presented in scripture. So we don't just have this kind of tan, like intangible, abstract notion of who Jesus is. We can see him and we can know him and we can actually be like him. And so today we're looking at Jesus' interaction with Zacchaeus, the tax collector. So uh, you can turn to Luke 19. And today we're going to see that Jesus brings Zacchaeus through three stages. First, he brings him through calling, then to repentance, and then ultimately to salvation. And we're going to find that that is, that is Jesus' way, that he comes to people who are sinners, who are outcasts, with radical acceptance, with a call to him, and that brings them in turn to a radical repentance that they might find a radical salvation. So let's read Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. Right, starting with verse 1. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on the count of the crowd he could not, because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. All right. So let's start with verse 1. This is Jesus entering into Jericho and passing through. Now, that is the setting of our story, this city Jericho. Now, kids, do we remember the city of Jericho? We think back to Joshua when they came in and they marched around Jericho six times and blew their trumpets and the, the walls of Jericho came falling down. That is the Jericho that Jesus is in right now. That is the most famous story of Jericho. But there's a second story that takes place in Jericho in the Old Testament. This is a story of Rahab. So when Israel was going into Canaan, they sent a bunch of spies in. And the spies found themselves trapped in the city of Jericho, about to be captured. When this woman, named Rahab, an unlikely woman, given her occupation, comes in and actually rescues them. She saves them, and in turn is saved herself. This lady of the night actually becomes an integral part of the community of Israel. So much so that she actually uh, one of her direct descendants is Jesus Christ himself. The story of Rahab. So Jericho is, in the Old Testament, kind of this unlikely city of salvation. Where the stereotypical worst of the worst woman is saved. And here we see 
kind of the stereotypical man saved, the tax collector. So look with me at verse 2. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. All right, so throughout the New Testament, we're going to see tax collectors. And they're kind of universally disdained throughout this, this period. So we're going to try to get behind that. Why were tax collectors so hated in the time of Jesus Christ? All right, first of all, we can kind of understand it even in our present day. Most of you don't like tax collectors even now. We have a kind of natural disdain for the IRS. We feel cheated by them. It's, it's irrational, and we know that that is their job, but we still don't like it. We feel like they're just taking from us and giving us nothing in return. All right, so there's just the natural inclination to not like tax collectors. We get that. All right, but let's, let's take it one step further. What if that tax collector worked for an enemy nation? Now, that is what, who Zacchaeus worked for. He worked for Rome, for the Roman government, so that he could collect taxes to pay for their occupation of Israel. He's working for the enemy, making sure they have enough money to rule over them. All right, so that's a whole other level of why you would hate this man. He's basically a traitor. All right, but he's also a chief tax collector, so he's not only just one of them, he's actually leading the whole bunch, making sure they take as much money as they can from you. But worst of the worst, it says that he is rich. Now, that's an important detail. Because if it didn't say that, we could just say, maybe Zacchaeus is just doing his job. It's an unfortunate job, but someone has to do it. It's maybe not the best job. He could probably choose something better, but he had to do it. But because he was wealthy, it proves that he was actually using his position as a tax collector to, to line his own pockets. He was taking a little bit off the top, putting additional charges, defrauding and robbing his people. So he's a traitor. He's a turncoat in that sense. But then he's also a thief and a robber. This guy, this guy is not well liked. That is why they call him a sinner. And he is. He is a sinner. He's going against his nation. He's going against his people. And he's actually kind of defrauding them. And so he would have been a complete outcast in his society. People would have hated him. They would have disdained him. They would have rejected him. All right, that is a tax collector. That is Zacchaeus. And that is the man, this chief tax collector who is rich, that Jesus chooses to call. And if we see in the Bible, we see that actually calling starts earlier in the story than we might think. It doesn't just start when Jesus speaks to him. Calling starts with an interest in Jesus Christ. Verse 3. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So we hear stories of this, this guy who wants to get close to Jesus. He's interested in Jesus. And that's actually the first thing that calling entails. There's a supernatural interest in who Jesus Christ actually is. And for all of you who have been called by Jesus, who feel like you have a personal relationship with him, if you look back on your history, you can see that calling started long before kind of you presented yourself to Christ before you admitted that you are a Christian. Right? If you look back and you see that you had kind of an interest in Christ. 
or that Jesus gave you encounters with him, encounters with Christians, encounters with people who could lead you to Christ. Maybe you kind of interacted with the Bible and kind of liked it for some reason. Weren't sure if it was true, but it piqued your interest. That is the calling of the Holy Spirit. That is the calling of Jesus Christ. And it starts long before we ever really do come to him. He is pursuing us. He is loving us. He is drawing us to himself. And we recognize that that kind of interest is only the result of the work of God. If that is his work, we wouldn't have any interest in Jesus unless he gave it to us. That's, that's the case with Zacchaeus, of course. This is a man who is corrupt. He's deliberately using his people. But he has this strange interest in Jesus Christ. And what does he do with that interest? Verse 4. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Now that is the way to respond to a call. Right? Can you imagine how silly Zacchaeus would have felt sitting up in that tree? That he's too short to see Jesus, and so he's just sitting there waiting for Jesus to pass by. You'd be wondering to yourself, like, what am I doing up here? Like, is it really worth it? Like, everyone's looking at me up in the tree. But he stayed there. He stayed there looking ridiculous because he wanted to know who Jesus was. I think there's, there's a lesson there. I think we have lost that, that kind of urgency to know Jesus and pursue Jesus, to be with Jesus. We wonder, kind of, how intentionally do we pursue Jesus and seek relationship with him? I think oftentimes we're a lot more passive about how we kind of run to Jesus Christ. Right? We're not climbing any trees for him. Oftentimes we don't want to walk across the room to pick up our Bibles. We just kind of hope that Jesus might throw a Bible at us. <laughs> he might announce some scriptures from up above. But no, this is, this is life or death. You're called by Jesus. Are you going to pursue the potential of eternal life or not? That's a, that's a huge question. And so we don't just sit back and wait for Jesus. We also respond to the call of Jesus Christ. God is sovereign, yes. Right? We all know that. God is in control of everything. But it's a two-way street. He calls and we respond. Zacchaeus responded. And we want to respond like that. To seek Jesus with, with passion, with all of our hearts. Because we know that it's actually worth it. And then Zacchaeus, he's pursuing Jesus. And he gets the, this call becomes more personal. Verse 5. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Of all the people, Jesus selects this man, this tax collector, to spend his time with. Now, do you think Jesus knew he was a tax collector? <laughs> Probably, right? <laughs> he knows his name. Uh, he's God, so he knows everything. He probably knew. If he didn't know, it probably would have been clear to him from verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. 
In this culture, you don't go talk to the tax collector. You don't strike up a friendly chat with him. You don't go to his house. You don't eat with him. That's just not what you do. And you see how joyful Zacchaeus is, how he responds. He jumps out of that tree and he, he, he runs to Jesus joyfully, it says. That's because he is a social outcast. He would have been rejected by everyone else. No one would have been kind to him. No one would have paid him any attention. But here is Jesus, our Lord, choosing him out of the crowd. Now, there's a natural question in that. Who are our culture's tax collectors? I think for many in our community, it's the drug addicts, the heroin addicts that live on our streets. I think we think that we can be unkind to them, rude to them, think less of them because of the choices that they have made. All right? For some of you, it might be homosexuals. Many in the church, we talk about gay people like they're going to hurt us or infect us or rub off on us. We say we're going to Rehoboth, and you say, oh, no, no there's a lot of gay people in Rehoboth. <laughs> Why do we say that? What are we trying to communicate when we say that? How are we perceiving these people? Or let's, maybe the Muslims. We don't want them in our community. We talk poorly of them. We get offended at their clothing. Many of us actually confess hatred of them and a desire to, to see them killed whether they are violent or not. All right. This, this perception that there are people who are outcasts and are rejected, it still stands. And Jesus chooses to move towards the tax collector. He chooses to spend his time with him to accept him, to love him, to move towards him. All right, let's say that Jesus, Jesus is coming to, to Elkton. He's coming down Main Street. And we're all standing there with our Fair Hill signs. You know, <laughs> Fair Hill Church, we love you, Jesus. Come hang out with us, Jesus. What would we think if he instead went to go hang out with the woman in a burqa or the homosexual couple? or went to go to the tent of the heroin addict? What would we think? Would we be surprised? We really shouldn't be surprised. That is the Jesus of the Bible. That is Jesus as he presents himself. The hope is that we would be, we'd understand and be like, oh yeah, no, of course Jesus would go to that person. They're lost. They need him. He loves those who are lost. He loves the sinners. Why would he not go to them? Jesus really does call the people who are the, the rejected of the world. Now that could upset us that Jesus doesn't come to us. That Jesus loves those people that we don't like. The crowd was upset about that. But that is the Jesus that we know and that is the Jesus that we love and that is a Jesus that has loved us. That's where we have to admit that when Jesus called us, he wasn't calling good people. He was calling the rejects and the social outcasts. 
right? That is who we all are if, if you're in Christ. We're the messed up people. He, he doesn't come with compliments about our good works. He comes to remind us, no, you were lost and you, you need me to find you and to save you. If we are not willing to admit that, then Jesus is just going to pass us by. He goes past the good people to save the bad people. He goes past the healthy people to find the sick people. We admit that we are sick, that we are bad, because that is what we are. If we say that we are good, we are deceiving ourselves. Jesus knows that everyone is bad, everyone is sick, but Jesus calls those who are willing to accept that fact. We must accept that fact. And if we do accept that fact, that we are called in spite of our sin, in spite of the fact that we are bad, not because of our goodness, then we're going to be surprisingly gracious to the people who are the social outcasts. We're going to be remarkably kind to them. We're going to move towards them. Show them the kindness that they don't deserve with no reason why we should look down on them, why we should think we're superior to them. We should offer them the grace that we have found in Christ. All right, so we are presented with this choice to either be the crowd that goes home bitter that Jesus didn't come to us, or we can act like Jesus Christ himself, lovingly accepting the outcast. All right, but that is not the end of Jesus' work. Jesus is not just accepting everyone on, on whatever terms they come to him. When he presents people with this radical acceptance, when it is properly understood, it leads to a radical repentance in turn. Look at verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of the goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. All right. That is some good repentance there. All right, what is repentance? All right, repentance is turning away from evil, turning towards kind of a renewed obedience to Christ. It's always two things. It's turning away from evil and towards good, towards obedience to Christ. We see both of those things in Zacchaeus. Right, he is turning away from his defrauding, all of these underhanded practices, but he's also turning to do good with his money, a new relationship to money. He's giving half of his possessions to the poor. To the people he defrauded, he's giving fourfold. This isn't just kind of a token repentance, a, a kind of a 10% that he's, he's changed. No, this is, a, this is gonna change his life. That could turn him from a rich man to a poor man to change all of his sinful ways. Now that is, that is real and appropriate repentance out of the overflow of the heart. Now when the Christian church thinks about repentance, we often mess up in two ways. On the one hand, we might say that you repent first and are accepted second. They get the order wrong. And we don't just do that against ourselves, we do that to other people too. We say, okay, you need to repent, and then you can come to Christ. 
When we're doing that, we're, turn, we're asking them to turn away from their sin and not giving them anything else to turn to. We give people both repentance and Christ so that they can turn and come to God who is gracious. We don't just throw commandments at people. And we don't just throw commandments at ourselves either. We don't just say, no, just, just do what you need to do. We're moving towards Christ. We do what we do because we love him, because he is gracious to us. That is the power and the motivation for obedience. That is why we repent. All right, so that's error number one. Error number two is just focus on the acceptance of Jesus. You don't need to do anything else, right? Just take up all that acceptance. Repentance is, repentance is dumb. Repentance is bad. Repentance is unnecessary. And most of the time you go with that because you say, well, no, repentance is just you trying to earn your salvation. You're missing the fact that, that it's all Jesus. What we think of Zacchaeus, what do we think of that? I don't think Zacchaeus would say it like that. He'd probably say, well, no, this is, this is the natural response to the fact that Jesus chose me. If God really is like that, then I want to obey him. I see that God really is good, that he is a God worth obeying. That is our act of worship in light of what he has done. All right, with that in mind, how does this, how does this change how we relate to repentance? We don't ask people to repent before they know Christ or independent of knowing Christ. Just throwing out commandments to him. That's not how we do it. All right, second, we actually do repent and we call people to repent. I think that's something that it sounds really scary, but we're presenting people with a new way of life. That is what repentance is. It is life. To move away from sin which is killing us. And we offer that to people. Not because and it's not mean, it's helping them. It's helping them have a relationship with God to to know what life is in him. The natural question is, what are we called to repent of? How are we called to turn away from sin? How are we called to turn towards Christ anew? What is that for you? We want to together help each other repent. To move towards obedience, we do that together. Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus understood that the love of Christ meant a change in his life, and he changed. He repented. Let us repent as well and call others to repent that they might know what life is in Christ. All right, that brings us to our final point. We find, along with Zacchaeus, not only calling, not only repentance, we find salvation. Verse 9. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. All right, do you see it? It's kind of an intense statement for Jesus here. He's kind of helping the ante that, yeah, I'm, I'm coming to your house, and that means salvation is coming to your house. I think this sounds weird to us because... 
we wouldn't think that Zacchaeus needs salvation. Maybe he needs a correction. Maybe he just kind of needs to realize that he's, he's choosing the wrong choice and he needs to make better choices. Zacchaeus corrects that and says, no, he's blind. He's lost. He's on the path of death. We tend to present Jesus like he's kind of uh, something helpful. Or, or we think that that's why he comes to us. So he's helpful. He's a tool. He might help us get through some of our struggles. No, he's there because we need salvation. We are dead in our sins. We are dead without him. And Jesus came not just to, to help us. He came to, to resurrect us to new life. This is Zacchaeus being reborn. Becoming a new man. Now I think that, unfortunately, part of, when we talk about that salvation aspect, we tend to talk about it just in the negative sense. It's salvation from death. Salvation from judgment. But there's a positive aspect. Just like there's a positive aspect to repentance. This is not just salvation from death. It's salvation unto life. How is Zacchaeus saved unto life? Well, he's, he's taken out of his life of scorn and shame. He's taken out of a life of guilt and condemnation. He's given a new life where he is no longer the outcast. Repentance actually changes how he relates to life and how he relates to this community. He's also restored, as, as Jesus says, you are a son of Abraham. He tells Zacchaeus and reminds him, no, you are a child of, of the covenant. You're a child of the kingdom, a child of promise. You are a son of God. That is something that Zacchaeus had lost. That the community had rejected from him, that, that he rejected God in his sin. In Christ, he is restored to that brought back into relationship, brought back as a child of God. Now, we tend to, we tend to undermine salvation a little bit and think that salvation is maybe just life to come or life from death. No, this is life in the present. Our life in sin is, is dull, it is miserable, it is meaningless, it's a life of death. And Jesus, in his salvation, is restoring us to life in the present. A life of purpose. We have a mission. We have a calling that we never had before. A life of joy and pleasure. Where we can pursue things that aren't just sinful desires. We pursue worship of God. Relationship with him. Fellowship with one another. The joy and peace that comes with knowing him. We also have more than just pursuing the fleeting things of this world. We can actually make eternal impacts on people's lives. Helping them, serving them, relating to one another in eternal ways. So, Jesus' goal is not that we just kind of have a, a sticker that says, like, you're going to heaven, just wait for it. No, it's, it's life in the present. It's life eternal. 
that starts right now. That is what salvation is. And so in light of that, um, Jesus is still calling people to himself. That is still the task of Jesus Christ. And if he is calling you, I would say respond. Repent. Seek salvation in him. And if you've already made that decision, continue to respond to the call. Continue to repent. Continue to seek salvation. And bring it to other people as well. We move out into the world with that radical acceptance of Jesus Christ. Radically accepting them, then calling them to repentance and bringing them to salvation. That is the task that we have been appointed. That is a glorious task. That is how we know and enjoy him. That is our act of worship to a God who, who paid for all of that sin, who accepted us only because of the cross. And Jesus, he's, he's coming back. He's going to come back and we are going to be with him. Let's say that, that we worshiped him by making this life, this time in between, a life of acceptance and repentance and salvation, both for ourselves and for those around us.